This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Will Johnson. The show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. There was a lot of evidence presented against her at trial that the jury was told, this is all blood from your husband. I absolutely had nothing to do with it. I loved my husband. On February 13th, 2000, 55-year-old Robert Dorotick went out for a run near his 16-acre ranch in Valley Center, California, about an hour north of San Diego. His wife eventually called police that same day when he didn't return. Searches were organized. The next day, February 14th, the body of Bob Dorotick was located on the side of the road along his jogging route, a few miles away from their home. Medical examiners concluded Robert Dorotick died of blunt force trauma to the head and strangulation. The following year, Bob's wife, Jane Dorotick, was convicted of murdering her husband and sentenced to 25 years to life. But Jane Dorotick's story doesn't end there. A former Valley Center woman convicted of killing her husband has always maintained her innocence, and soon she'll be released. I will be set free, and, and then I'll work to, to make a better system. The year after Jane Dorotick was convicted of murdering her husband in August 2001, KFMB in San Diego caught up with Jane Dorotick behind bars. This is the report along with portions of that interview that aired back in 2001. I am innocent and I will get out of here. It's just very hard. Hard describes the last year for Jane Dorotick, who even from prison professes her innocence. Absolutely. I know the real killers out there. The 55-year-old was sentenced to 25 years to life for the death of her husband, Bob. His body was found beaten and strangled near their home. It continues to be like a nightmare that you never wake up from. Nothing could have prepared Dortick for prison life, a tough, cruel world. It's taken a toll on her physically and emotionally. I meditate a lot. I pray a lot. I um, try and do something every day that's helpful to someone else. Dortick spends her days reading, looking for books to comfort her soul, but mostly she works a job similar to this. The yard crew has been fine, nurturing some plants, making an area prettier. Dortick says she has a lot of time to think while wandering these grounds here, but she says the toughest part comes at night when she often dreams of her husband, Bob. My husband comes to me in my dreams all the time and tells me, hold on, you're going to make it. You'll get out of there. As for what she misses the most. My animals, my family. That's the most that I miss. But back then, at the time of this report, Jane Dorotick was already fighting for her freedom and continuing to claim her innocence. Dorotick says she will be free one day and vows not to forget those still in prison. I will be set free and and then I'll work to, to make a better system. <laughs> I laugh sometimes and I say, if this is what was intended for me, I didn't read the fine print. I want to go back and redo the contract because this is really hard. A year before that interview, at her trial, prosecutors argued that Dorotick beat her husband to death with a hammer and then strangled him with a rope at the ranch home they rented in Valley Center. Then they alleged she dressed her husband in running clothes, put his shoes on, and tied his laces from the wrong angle before dumping his body on the side of the road. And the motive, according to prosecutors? Jane Dortick was planning to divorce her husband of 30 years and didn't want him to have part of the six-figure salary she was earning at the time as an executive at a mental health services company. That amount would have been close to 40% of her income, according to prosecutors, at the time of the trial. 
But during that jailhouse interview back in 2001, Dorotick offered up another suspect as her husband's killer, a ranch hand who was overlooked in the investigation. The farm worker who didn't show up to work that day, who owed us money, um, when we know he drives a black pickup and his tire prints were seen. In fact, tire tracks were brought in as evidence during the trial, but not the ranch hands. Only Jane Dorotick struck tires, which were found near his body and were unique to her truck, three different makes of tires. There was other evidence, a bloody thumbprint found on a syringe of animal tranquilizer in the couple's bathroom. Also found at the scene of the crime and entered as evidence, a rope around his neck, scrapings from under his fingernails, and a piece of hair photographed around his finger. DNA testing on these items would come back into play many years later, as Jane Dorotick's conviction for the murder of her husband would eventually be reconsidered in a court of law. This is CBS News 8 at 5. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Carlo Cicchetto. And I'm Barbara Lee Edwards. A new look at some old evidence tonight, 15 years after a local woman was convicted of killing her husband. It was 2015. Jane Dorotick was then 66 years old. And after 15 years behind bars, the murder of Robert Dorotick was finally getting another look. Jane Dorotick has won a request to have evidence in her case tested for DNA. Her lawyer says it could support her claims of innocence. CBS News aides Marcella Lee is here now with the story. Marcella? Barbara Lee and Carlo, this right here is the motion that was filed in court requesting new DNA testing be done on evidence from the murder in 2000. Prosecutors asked the judge to deny the motion, saying the fingernail scrapings and the rope still exist, but that the rope might have been contaminated. But the motion to retest for DNA evidence was allowed. 15 years after the murder, a judge has granted a new motion to have old evidence re-examined and tested for DNA. Court records obtained by CBS News 8 reveal the items in question include the rope that was found around Bob Dorotick's neck, which was used to kill him, the scrapings from under his fingernails, and what appeared to be a piece of hair photographed around his finger, if the physical evidence still exists. Well, I think this is very good news, and I'm optimistic it might lead to some new and different uh, information that we didn't possess at the time of trial. Carrie Steigerwald is not involved with the new motion, but represented Dorotick during the murder trial. We always believed that she was an innocent woman and was not guilty of killing her husband, so this might be uh, a road by which there'll be some proof that maybe that assertion is correct. The new motion also claims police never fully investigated the ranch hand whose truck tire prints were discovered near the body. I'm real hopeful this will shed some insight into who might possibly have been the killer of Robert Dorotick. According to her lawyers, that DNA testing would eventually exclude her from the crime scene. They said that DNA testing of the victim's clothing, fingernails, and the rope alleged to be one of the murder weapons showed no evidence of Dorotick's DNA. But before her case and conviction would be reconsidered, Jane Dorotick was released from prison. It was, at the time, a temporary release due to Jane Dorotick's age, underlying health issues, and the rapidly escalating COVID-19 crisis. It was a decision that the San Diego District Attorney's Office opposed. A statement from the DA's office read, The District Attorney's Office supports the thoughtful and careful release of certain inmates who are nearing the end of their terms and or have medical conditions that place them at risk, and we've moved proactively to facilitate medical releases in San Diego County. However, we oppose the court's immediate release of this particular inmate because Ms. Dorotick was convicted by a jury of murdering her husband, and her murder conviction has been reviewed and upheld multiple times. 
We presented our position that this case did not merit extraordinary relief in spite of the ongoing COVID-19 crisis due to the very serious nature of the crime and the fair review processes available. But attorneys from Loyola Law School's Project for the Innocent were working on Dorotick's case now and were able to secure her release. She'd be required to wear an ankle monitor and live with her sister, but the ultimate goal of her new attorneys was more than just a temporary release. They continued to believe she'd been wrongfully convicted. They alleged a prosecution expert witness testified during her trial that stains found in the victim's bedroom were his blood, even though most of the stains were not tested and never confirmed to be blood at all. And in the summer of 2020, while out of prison on temporary release, and two decades after the murder of her husband, Jane Dortick's conviction was thrown out. Newly discovered DNA evidence helps overturn the 2001 murder conviction of a Valley Center woman. Good evening and thanks for joining us. I'm Marcella Lee. And I'm Barbara Lee Edwards. Jane Dorotick, now 73 years old, was serving a 25-year prison sentence in the death of her then-husband, 55-year-old Robert Dorotick. You know, this caught us a bit by surprise. This is the first time we've heard it. We're delighted. It's the best news I can imagine giving at such a hearing. The news came during a virtual hearing on a Friday afternoon in July of 2020. The DNA evidence as it exists now in 2020 is much different in quality and quantity than presented at trial in 2001. The prosecutor also said due to the new evidence, a new trial needed to be granted. Well, we're gonna... It will be my intent to release her on her own recognizance, no longer require the GPS monitor. The judge said he did not see Dortick as a flight risk, which she was pleased about and already planning a trip. I am doing just fine, but I have been desperately wanting to visit my daughter in Florida. The judge said she needed to send her attorneys her travel dates. She has the right to be tried within 60 days by him vacating her conviction and turning today to the equivalent of being arraigned again. Don't break the law. Come to court when we have a court date. Attorneys will meet October 25th to discuss the possibility of a retrial. Jane Dorotick wasn't out of the woods with the possibility of another trial down the road. But at the time, with two decades in prison and a murder conviction behind her, other things were on her mind. I'll apologize ahead of time. I'll get emotional. I think I've spent 20 years um, hiding from all of it. And now that it's over, now that I finally am vindicated, it's a huge relief. It was just such a travesty to lose him the way I did. Ten days after I lost my mother, I'm moving ahead with my life. I know who I am, and I know that I spent 20 years behind bars for a crime I didn't commit. Dorotick didn't hold back when offering up thoughts about the investigators working on her case. I don't think it's right that the police are able to lie to you in order to get some kind of information out of you. She also talked about the prison system, describing it as being like walking into a foreign country where you're hated and can't communicate. There are so many women who are over-prosecuted, over-charged, um, come from horrible backgrounds, and it's just such a travesty. But with Jane Dorotick's conviction thrown out, then who killed Bob Dorotick? The defense pointed the finger at a convicted felon who lived nearby. KFMB investigator producer David Godfordson looked into the evidence and the defense allegation. In legal filings, her defense attorneys point the finger at a Valley Center resident. He could not be reached for comment, but a family member told News 8 he's currently living in Washington state. There were some issues with the, the testing for sure. Defense attorney Paula Mitchell with the Project for the Innocent at Loyola University worked for years to get Dorotick's conviction overturned. She says the blood found inside the couple's bedroom was either never tested or if it was the victim's blood, it could have been deposited there 
from a recent nosebleed. The jury was told, this is all blood from your husband. This was all DNA tested. It's shown to be your husband's blood and it's in your bedroom and it's everywhere. And it just turned out to be completely false. New testing on crime scene evidence showed unidentified DNA under the victim's fingernails and on the rope used to strangle him. Now, David, Jane Dortick's conviction was thrown out, but we should point out the district attorney's office is still deciding whether to retry the case, right? That's right. The DA's office wants to do their own DNA testing before uh, next hearing in the case set for October 23rd. Meanwhile, Jane Dortick is in the Los Angeles area out of custody. KFMB reporter Shannon Handy was in the courtroom when that hearing took place in October of last year. Today in court, we heard from experts, including a sheriff's deputy who first investigated this case more than 20 years ago. Now, despite Dorotick's conviction being overturned due to new DNA evidence, the DA's office is pursuing a murder charge yet again, hoping to prove she's guilty. Today, the 73-year-old was back in court attending a preliminary hearing for a new trial in the case. I asked Ms. Dortick if she and her husband had any marital problems, and she said not in the past two years. The first person to take the stand, James Blackman, a San Diego County Sheriff's deputy who interviewed Dortick after she reported her husband had gone missing while out on a jog in February 2000. Deputy Blackman recalled finding Dortick, saying he noticed what appeared to be tire tracks in the area as well. I saw Mr. Dortick lying on his back. I saw trauma to his head and a black cord around his neck and his feet were together. It appeared to me that he was placed there. The preliminary hearing will continue tomorrow. Witnesses, including neighbors, are expected to testify. It could last up to two weeks, at which point a judge will decide if there's enough evidence to go to trial. As it turns out, the district attorney decided in October that Jane Dortick would face a second trial for the murder of her husband. At the beginning of this year, in early January, a preliminary hearing was scheduled to take place in the second trial of Jane Dortick. KFNB reporter Kelly Hesedal explains why that hearing didn't take place. That is because uh, we've learned that one of those witnesses has passed away. Now we're told Lisa Marie Singh, an eyewitness in this case, has died. Uh, we don't know the circumstances, uh, but the defense instead submitted her testimony to the judge from Dorotick's first trial in 2001 as evidence. As for the second witness that was supposed to testify, a criminalist with the sheriff's department, uh, her attorney told me they decided they did not need his testimony for the preliminary hearing. Uh, he says their overall argument will be that this case should be destroyed dismissed, but that argument won't go before a judge until a much later date. I'm joined now by Greg Moran, criminal justice enterprise reporter at the San Diego Union Tribune. Greg, thanks for being here with us. It's my pleasure. Greg, the DNA testing, how much of it do we know was done or not done originally on some of the items that were found at the scene of the crime? There was very little uh, DNA testing done uh, at that time in 2000 of these uh, items. It's one of the um, points that the defense has been making is that uh, this was a, a very circumstantial case. It relied heavily on forensics, but uh, uh, much of the evidence that uh, was used uh, to convict her uh, was not... Uh, tested for DNA uh, back then and only has been recently. And then the more recent DNA testing that's been done that helped clear her or, or get, get her conviction thrown out, what, what exactly have we learned from that DNA testing? Was it conclusive that 
her DNA was not found on any of the items of evidence? Right, it it was as you know, you know, DNA very powerful uh, tool in uh, in criminal trials and so forth. Uh, if you watch CSI or anything, uh, uh, you know, we all know that this is really as changed uh, so much of criminal justice investigation uh, over the years. And the key about DNA evidence is that it is, as they will, experts will tell you, is that it's a much more definitive and powerful tool when it excludes people as possible contributors of ge- genetic material than when it includes someone as a possible contributor. In several items uh, that were found at uh, uh, on Robert Dortick's body, a rope, his clothing, and uh, uh, material that was scraped from underneath his fingernails. All of that was subjected to DNA testing recently, uh, in 2019, and it excluded Jane Doritic as as a contributor to any of that material. So, it it, it says there's foreign DNA on this, is what they call it. It's 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 genetic material that does not belong to Robert Doritic. It belongs to somebody unknown, but we know for sure it is not Jane Doritic's, and that was a very crucial kind of step here in her being able to get to this point uh, of, of reopening her case because it uh, definitively says, uh, particularly the fingernail scrapings, that she was not, uh, could not possibly have been a contributor there. Despite all that, the more recent news and developments have been that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but that the district attorney has said they, they want to retry her, which is a pretty unusual step to make, right, for someone whose conviction has been thrown out. Yeah, I mean, it's it's extremely unusual, I think, on a, on a couple of different levels, right? So first of all, I mean, when, when convictions get reversed or, or thrown out or whatever on appeal, it's not unusual to see district uh, prosecutors again try again. But here, a couple things have happened. One, this was a conviction that um, they essentially gave up Right, they, that the the defense and the lawyers for Jane Doritic from the Innocence Project, uh, Project for the Innocence at Loyola Law School, since 2016 had developed a whole body of new uh, analysis, new evidence, uh, new information that they were that they had packaged together in a in a new petition that was pending before the trial court here. And right when they were about to have a hearing on that, the district attorney's office stood up and said. Okay, we'll concede that uh, right now the this new information has undermined the integrity of this conviction. They said they gave a couple of reasons for that. So we will not oppose her her request or her bid to for a new trial and to reopen this case. So they essentially gave up this conviction. But now they're saying that they want to go again. That they after uh, after admitting that there were flaws in the first trial. They now want to do that again. That her defense lawyer says that this is extremely unusual. You know, it's not unusual to see a retrial when a court or a judge or somebody makes a decision that a trial is unfair, but to see them kind of give it up uh, and then come right back and say we want to go again is unusual. The second unusual thing is the passage of time here. I mean, this is a long time. It was, it was before 9/11. I mean, think of it that way. Is when she was convicted. Um, this was a very long time ago. Uh, memories fade. People have left or witnesses have died. Uh, they actually have lost the, the original case file in this in this uh, case. So uh, a lot of, it's very difficult to reanimate, I think, a prosecution after that long a period of time. And really the third thing is this, is that, I mean, Jane Dortick is now a 75-year-old woman. Uh, she has done 20-plus years 
in uh, state prison for this crime. One has to kind of ask, what's sort of the end game here? I mean, are they, if they are able to uh, uh, survive this uh, defense motion to throw the case out now, if they can get to another trial, if the jury convicts her again at another trial, she'll probably be 76 by then. Um, what's, I mean, are they going to send a 76-year-old woman back to prison uh, in this era where California and other states, but particularly California, is trying to you know, kind of decarcerate a lot of people, trying to empty the prisons out of people, including you know, elderly people uh, who uh, present all kinds of problems in a custodial setting with health and safety and things like that. So it, it is an unusual posture that they've taken here, but they're very committed to defending this, uh, their initial uh, uh, conviction in this case. And there are, from what I can tell, ongoing hearings taking place. The most recent one, we found out that a potential eyewitness had passed away. Another eyewitness wasn't there. Are you familiar with the what, what's going on there? Yeah, that was uh, 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 just a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was supposed to be kind of the last hearing where evidence was presented, and and this everything that's been going on since April of 2021 is is a preliminary hearing here in California. You have a if you're charged with a crime, you, they have a hearing to determine if there's enough evidence. Uh, to bind you over for a trial. It's uh, kind of a testing of some of the, the evidence there. It's a pretty low threshold, but still, it's, uh, it, it's a process that uh, almost, unless you waive it, that everybody has to go through. So this hearing has been extremely unusual to go on for this long. It, it's been kind of stop and start. COVID has had an impact, um, scheduling problems and things like that. But a couple of weeks ago, they were going to have the last hearing where there was going to be live testimony or it was going to be testimony. But one of the witnesses that the defense wanted uh, to testify had passed away. She had testified in the uh, 2000 uh, trial, I believe. So they're able to kind of put in uh, a transcript of what she had said. But uh, she was not there. And so now uh, the case is they're going to have a couple more hearings, kind of important ones where uh, they're going to make their arguments about why the case should stop or the prosecution is going to say why it should continue. And then the judge is going to have to decide whether or not uh, there's enough here to send this case to another trial 21 years after, almost to the day, uh, after uh, uh, she was convicted. Whatever one might think of this potential for another trial and this case moving forward and going back in front of a jury, I do have to ask you, in covering crime for a long time, th this case still just brings up so many questions. It's, it's rather outlandish and bizarre to imagine this woman dressing her husband in a running suit and then dropping him off on the side of the road. And it just has a lot of elements that I think attract attention. Yeah, I mean, for sure. That's certainly one of them. Um, it, you know, the, the theory here is that uh, they were, they had had an argument in the bedroom of this uh, kind of horse ranch uh, where they, they lived in a suburb of uh, San Diego. Uh, and uh, she hit him with a hammer uh, and he bled and then uh, he wasn't quite dead. So they struggled some more and then he bled in another part of the room. And then he was died. And then, yeah, you're right, that somehow she's able to get him into a uh, running suit and uh, drag him into the pickup, uh, the back of the pickup truck and drive him to a location a few miles away from their home and dump the body where it's found. Um, 
it's, I mean, that, that was a strange element of it. There was also an element, I mean, this was, they were a, you know, successful, uh, upper middle class, upper class couple. Um, she was, a, a an accomplished, uh, healthcare executive. Um, you know, they lived in this nice property, uh, as kind of the, uh, uh, unusual, you know, circumstances surrounding the, the, uh, the death. And that really, uh, the, the, the case really was very entirely circumstantial. There were no eyewitnesses, no ear witnesses. Um, it all rode on the forensics. And, um, at the time when it occurred, I think there was a certain amount of, uh, there was a lot of curiosity about how, uh, this, uh, kind of couple that seemed to be so well off had, uh, kind of disintegrated like this. Um, and ever since then, she's become kind of a staple on a lot of the, uh, true crime, you know, uh, websites and, uh, TV, television programs and so forth. The case just really kind of, uh, uh, grabs people's attention and it's hard for him to let go. And it continues on. We'll find out in coming weeks and months what what happens next. Greg Moran at the San Diego Union Tribune. Pleasure talking to you. Thanks for telling us more about this case. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening to True Crime Chronicles. I'm Will Johnson. Reed Redman will be back with us next week with a new case and a new story. <laughs>